So we're about to begin wedding season here at Tapestry. Um, what I mean by that is apparently the vast majority of non-single non, um, people in our church are getting married this summer, uh, which there are, are sad points to that because it means we're actually we're going to lose one person to my knowledge uh, because he's going to move to be close to his wife, which is a good thing, I think, typically. I think marriages work out a little better that way. Um, but it also means that we, we gain certain things. And Eric and Drew and Joel do a fantastic job, in my opinion, every week, except for every now and then when Joel's not here and they have some percussionist that fills in, uh, who typically messes things up. But uh, I got to say, I'm excited about the, the, the addition of Jody because Eric and Jody sound really good together. Um, for, for those of you who are not normally here on a Sunday night, we are going through the Gospel of Mark, and we have been going through the Gospel of Mark for a little over a year now. Um, and we are on the ninth chapter. And so we're going to be reading from the ninth chapter of the Gospel according to Mark, verses 2 through 13. Uh, there are tapestry Bibles around you. There's scripture on the piece of paper that was on your chair. And then Adam is going to show the scripture behind me and while I read it, because I prefer to read it from my own Bible here. So this is what the word of the Lord says. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up on a high mountain, which they uh, excuse me, where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before him, and they there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Parentheses, and this is why I love Peter so much. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them, these, gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this, the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have, not, they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Now, guys, I want to show you a quote from, from a guy named A.W. Tozer. Tozer. He's a uh, writer that I really enjoy. Uh, this is the quote. He begins the book that uh, is, is the idea of the holy with this statement. And, and, and I think there's a great deal of truth to it. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And, and I want you to, to notice, he says, what comes to our mind when we think about God, because I think what happens quite often is our faith gets done treated two ways. One, our faith gets pushed aside and it's like it doesn't matter at all except for for small, private, personal matters. Or 
the religious aspect of our faith becomes so all-important that the only thing that matters is my religious culture. And there is a difference between our religious culture and our faith. Religion is not bad. Religion is not good, though, either. Religion can help us to connect with God. Religion also can help us (laughs) to stay away from God. What we are doing tonight is a religious practice. This is a church service. This can be a great way to connect us with Jesus Christ, with the truth that is Him. Or it can be something that we just do because good people go to church and that's what you do. Some of us in the room were raised in church and some of us in the room were not raised in church. Some of us in the room have seen people fight over incredibly stupid things and some of us have avoided the church as much as we possibly can because we know they fight over incredibly stupid things. When I was was growing up, I wasn't raised in church and I thought that religion was a great little children's story that made for wonderful little cartoon drawings for kids and that's about it. And I wanted to avoid it. But Tozer says, and I think he's right, that what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing. And the reason is is because of this statement. And I stole this from a book by a guy named G.K. Beale. It's actually the title of his book. And it is, We Become What We Worship. And I think Scripture teaches this over, 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 and over again. Both in good ways and in bad ways. If you know any of the Ten Commandments at all, there's one that says something about not having any other gods before me. We call it idolatry. And if you think about what people worship, what God's nations worship, what God's individuals worship, they tend to become like the God they worship. And if the true God is not like the God they want to be, or what they want to be like, then they tend to twist that jesus has been made into things that are not like the new testament jesus at all (laughs) okay during and during uh the the middle ages when the pope basically wanted (laughs) to take over the middle east again and suddenly said hey if you go and you fight over in the middle east to take back the holy land all of your sins will be forgiven suddenly we have these very strong images of jesus the warrior being painted Why? Because Jesus, the suffering servant, wasn't real good when you were going to take over and kill people. So they reshaped Jesus. We become what we worship. And then the opposite is true, too. What we want to be like, we change what we worship into. And this passage is all about whether or not Jesus is worthy of worship. It's called the transfiguration because basically what it means is is that the glory that is there with him already is suddenly revealed. And, and I use the word revealed very purposely. See, we every now and then have the chance to shine, shine the nature of God. Think of a mirror that, where you reflect it. But a mirror it has no light in and of itself. It's not like you walk into a dark room with a mirror and suddenly there's light. If, if I held up a mirror in front of these lights, you would all be blinded. But it doesn't have to do with the nature of the mirror shining back on you. It's just the nature of the mirror to reflect that light we all know doesn't come from that mirror. But Jesus is revealing glory that is already in him. 
See, Jesus' nature is that he is fully God and he is fully human. He is fully man. That means Jesus meek and mild is true. He is meek and mild, but that doesn't mean that that's all that he is. He is also Jesus, the creator God, who, who started out of nothing all that is. And so this transfiguration is, it, it's not like Jesus is in a costume. He's not. Okay, the incarnation means that Jesus brought humanity in, into himself. That weakness is a part of him because he chose for that to be. It's not like he took off a costume. It's more like he unbuttoned his shirt just a little bit to reveal that which was already there. Both are true at the same moment. So here, here's one of the more famous Im- images of uh, the incarnation. Oh, no, excuse me, not the incarnation, the transfiguration. Because the story we have is that Jesus goes up on top of this mountain. And, and we are not ancient Near Eastern Jews. You may not know that. You may have woken up this morning thinking, hey, I'm an ancient Near Eastern Jew. But you're not. If you are, I'd love to talk to you because that means you're really, really old. And I would love to know your secret because you all look wonderful, not like people who are 2,000 years old. But if we were ancient Near Eastern Jews, whenever we heard a story, we would have other stories that would pop into our heads. Okay, We are a written society, but we're also a visual society. You can do the exact same thing uh, with, with movies and such. Uh, I showed uh, the, the, I don't even know, I want to call you all a band. I don't know what to call you. We don't have a name. We need a name. The, the rock circuit? Did you just say the, the rock circuit? The circuits of rock. Okay, I'm not listening to, uh, to Eric at all. Drew, do you have a good name? What Eric said. Okay, <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> but I showed them this video beforehand because I'm fascinated by Jimmy Fallon. He's a late night uh, um, host. And the irony is, is I'm not fascinated by a show. I have never actually watched a show. But he puts all this stuff up on the internet. And I'm fascinated by the stuff he puts up on the internet. And he just put up a video this week of a song he did with his band, which is the, not his band, the band that plays on his show, The Roots. And then the young lady who sings that song, her name is, what? Yes, can you say it louder? Because Carly, Ray Jepson? Okay. She sings a song called Call Me Maybe. Okay. And they thought, this will be fun. I will take... All right, they're laughing. Is there something wrong about the song that I don't know? Have you really? Have you seen the Jimmy Fallon version of it? Oh, okay. (laughs) It's fascinating because they go, hey, how could we do this song in an unusual way? Let's get instruments from uh, a, a... a school's music department. And so they have like their plastic little xylophone thing and kazoos and they do this song. And, and I was, was showing them this and then immediately Eric started kicking into these stories about the band that I didn't know because apparently when the band plays songs for people to enter the Jimmy Fallon show, they play songs that they think interpret who that person is. But they play the instrumental version of it. So sometimes they're, they're being smart alecks and they're making fun of the person and sometimes they're, they're praising the person. But we think, well, that's interesting. Yeah, that's okay. All right, we'll do it without it if need be. We, we think in these stories too. If I mention certain movies to you, you start going through that scene automatically. Uh, one of the, the movies that I love, my personal favorite movie, is a movie uh, 
called The Outlaw Josie Wells. I absolutely love it. And I can mention a scene and my dad will start telling the rest of that story. We think in these, these scenes. Uh, when I was a youth minister, uh, I could mention uh, the uh, Monty Python um, Search for the Holy Grail movie. And if I mentioned it, there would always be somebody in the group that would begin to quote out word for word what was happening after the reference. It almost ruined a sermon once because I, I made one statement. And when I made one statement, all of a sudden, there were like these three teenagers that started acting out the scene. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> and they, they were... It, it, see, the whole point when I'm preaching a sermon is, you know, we're supposed to be interacting and such. And then suddenly everybody's turning to the back to like where Joe is. Because they find that we think like that, but we forget that other cultures do. When an ancient Near Eastern Jew heard and heard the story and was a part of it, they wouldn't begin to think automatically of, oh, that's similar to this, which is similar to this. And Jesus goes somewhere and, and it specifically says what type of spot he goes to. Did anybody notice? What? He goes up onto a high mountain and every good ancient Near Eastern Jew is going to immediately think, wait a second. Two things typically happen in the Old Testament on high mountains. One, people meet God or two, they go up to make sacrifice to false gods. Jesus goes up and it says he goes up onto a high mountain. And while he's there, he reveals a little bit of his godlike nature. And two people show up that are associated with high mountain experiences of connecting with God. Now, who were the two people that were, were referenced here that were mentioned? Elijah and, and Moses. Yes. All right. So next slide, please, buddy. This is a reference of Moses. Well, actually, that's not a reference of Moses. That would be a small little cartoon because I saw this and thought it was funny because Moses or God gives Moses the tablets. <laughs> Moses says there's an app. I didn't say it was real funny. I just said it made me snicker just a little bit. But would you go to the scripture there? This is the reference to, to Moses going up on Mount Sinai for the second set of tablets. And during the second set of tablet, tablets, because the first set of tablets, God writes with his finger is the way it's described. God writes very little in scripture by himself. It only happens a couple of times. Uh, Moses destroys those tablets because he gets ticked off because the people of God are not following God, which is... Really, when you think about it, kind of a weird response. I have God's word here for you to follow. Oh, you're not following God. That's it. I'm destroying God's word. Makes perfect sense. But anyhow, um, the second passage of, not second passage, the second set of tablets, God tells Moses to write these down. And Moses asks to, to see God, which he can't. But God finally says, hide in this cleft of a rock. There's an old hymn. Uh, he hideth me in the cleft of the rock. And basically, God, what, what God says is, you can see my backside. Now, I'm an old southern boy, so anytime I hear backside, that makes me snicker a little bit. But <laughs> God says, you can see my backside. And the response is that Moses sees God's backside and his face glows. To the point, his face glows. Yes, Think of it almost like a, a spiritual sunburn. Um, but it, it scares everybody. Why? Because, well, if somebody's face is glowing, that should scare you. And they actually ask him to put a veil over his face. Now, Jesus goes up on a high mountain. A little bit of his glory is revealed. 
And two people come up, one of which is a person who has an experience on a high mountain. And he sees the very nature, or at least the backside, of God. Every ancient Near Eastern Jew who heard this story would immediately think, Oh! But they would also think something else. Not just, oh my goodness, Jesus is suddenly equated with Moses here because Moses sees the presence of God. But Moses also, as a character, represented a part of the Hebrew Scripture. Now, if I say the word Torah... Many of you know what that means. Torah is the law. It is the first five books of the Old Testament. And it is supposed to be written by Moses. So every now and then you'll see reference, even in Jesus' speaking, where people will say, Moses says this. And what they mean is, in the first five books of the Old Testament, they wouldn't have called it the Old Testament, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, the word of the Lord says this. And they would refer to Moses as this whole pass, this whole section of Scripture. But they referred to the rest of the Scripture as the prophets. And lo and behold, there's a prophet who represents that also. Does anybody want to take a wild guess who it is? I'll tell you, his name was already mentioned in this passage. What, Rich? Elijah. Yes! Isn't that convenient? Because Elijah also has a mountaintop experience with God. Now, Elijah is basically facing uh, this woman who is associated with evil. He's also facing her husband, who was King Ahab. But Jezebel was his wife, and she was a personification of evil in the Old Testament. Uh, And basically, she wants to kill him. She wants to kill him because God uses Elijah to defeat all of the prophets that she thinks are real. The prophets of Baal and the priestesses of Asherah. And, and Elijah has this incredible experience on Mount Carmel where, uh, where God uses him to, to defeat them. And, and just this amazing experience of, hey, God is real. Matter of fact, would you show the next image? Just because this, this really does make me laugh. Um, <laughs> just the thought of Mount Carmel happening with Elijah going, boom, shakalaka. <laughs> just makes me laugh but this passage of scripture is what happens afterwards because he has this incredible experience with god and then suddenly he finds out that jezebel wants to kill him and he does what anybody who's just had this amazing powerful experience with god would do he runs like a little girl actually that's not true because you're little girls and and you wouldn't run like that but he runs and he runs really fast and scripture actually records that he beats a chariot i love these little small details that's just kind of fun um but he runs and he hides. And in this passage of scripture, God meets him on a mountain and he meets him with this one question. What are you doing here? I love the way God will take a very simple thing and just do something dramatic with it. Because he's, he asked Elijah, what are you doing here? And then Elijah starts going, don't you know Jezebel is killing everybody? And there's nobody in the land who is standing up for you except for me. And God doesn't say, no, stop, stop. He says, go over here. I'm going to walk by you. uh, Scripture records that earthquake comes and God's not in the earthquake. A storm comes and God's not in the storm. And then a still small whisper comes and God is in the whisper. And the whisper says, what are you doing here? And then suddenly, Elijah begins to to start backpedaling in a good way to realize God was with me and I ran away. 
Scripture doesn't record that he sees the presence of God, but it definitely records that he hears the presence of God. And Jesus goes up on a high mountain, and, and the glory of himself is revealed, and suddenly the disciples that are there, the three that are there, see two people that for them would have represented the two people who have seen God physically. The two people who would have represented all of God's recorded word in the law and the prophets, in the works of Moses and the work of Elijah. It's just absolutely incredible when you think about it. Because every ancient Near Eastern Jew, when they, when they heard the story, would have immediately thought of a couple of different things. And one of those things is they would have thought, oh my goodness, Jesus is putting himself up with Moses and Elijah. And when we think of Moses and Elijah, we think of all of God's word. But he wasn't putting himself up with Moses and Elijah. Elijah. He wasn't just talking about the law and the prophets. He was putting himself above the law and the prophets. Now, now those of you who've been here for this past year, what you should know is that we've come back to the teachers of the law and we've come back to people questioning Jesus about what was being, uh, being said in the Old Testament. It was always about the Old Testament. It was always about the prophets and, the, uh, and Moses, the law and the prophets over and over and over again. And suddenly these three disciples see this image with Moses there and with Elijah there and Jesus in the center and the father responds. Did you catch what the father said? He he makes reference to what he says at the baptism of Jesus. This is my son whom I love. And he adds one little command at the end. What? I heard it. I heard somebody say it. Let's just say, you're a faxon. Why are you whispering? (laughs) Listen to him. All right. Think again. Moses and Elijah, one, the two physical experiences with God. But what else do they represent for the Jews? The totality, 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 I cannot speak. Totality of the word of the Lord. The works of Moses, the prophets. And they are there with Jesus. Physical reminders of the Hebrew Bible. And the father says, oh, Listen to him. Listen to him. And this cloud descends, and clouds are very meaningful in the Old Testament, because when God makes his presence known in the temple, do you know how he makes his presence known in the temple? A cloud. <laughs> he takes it over. How do, how do the people know that, that God is with uh, Moses when he is on, on Mount Sinai? A cloud How are the people led in the desert when they are wandering to the promised land? Two ways during the night, because clouds don't show up real well at night. You may not know that, but they don't show up real well at night. So there's fire then. But what does he use during the day? A cloud, a pillar of cloud. Over and over and over again. And this cloud descends. And then suddenly the only one that's standing there is Jesus. Listen to him. You think that would have been meaningful to an ancient Near Eastern Jew who would have associated everything good in life 
with what is said by God through Moses and the prophets. This is a game changer, folks. This is a huge game changer because Jesus' glory is revealed and suddenly he is the one that is true. It doesn't mean that what, what God said through Moses and what God said through the prophets is not true. What it means is it pointed to him. They are secondary. He is primary. What we worship shapes who we become. I'll give you an example. Um, I've moved a couple of slides because I don't have my clicker. But there's a little image of a very important part of wor- a point of worship in Wisconsin. Probably the biggest worship service in Wisconsin. I've been once in my life. Would you show that one, Adam? You can probably guess what it is. See, it is a huge point of worship. I went for the very first time uh, this past year for a preseason game, and that's as close as I've been thus far. If you want to give me tickets, that's great. <laughs> Um, but for the very first time I went there, I've been a Packer fan since 1978 when James Lofton was a wide receiver. I was convinced that James Lofton was the greatest wide receiver in the NFL. He played for the Packers, therefore the Packers must be the greatest team, and it just worked out that I was right, so I'm okay with that. And and you could say, oh no, you were a game changer. The Packers stunk then, so I wasn't just changing because the Packers were good. And I wasn't betraying my local team because I was raised, raised in Alabama. We do not have a professional football team other than the University of Alabama, okay? Um, but we don't have a pro team, so I chose the Packers. And ever since 1978, I've been a Packer fan. Uh, when, when I moved from Alabama to Fort Worth, Texas, which is right beside this this city that that is kind of egotistical and has a team that we really don't like um i lived there when uh when they were winning their super bowls and i still rooted for the packers i moved to missouri and if i remember correctly if i've got my my uh my uh genealogy correct this is not genealogy timeline right uh brett Favre's uh super bowl win was 96 is that correct does anybody know right and the year before that we lost to the Dallas Cowboys in the NFC Championship game. And the way I know that is because as a youth minister, I had a Super Bowl party for the youth, and we decorated one side with the Cowboys stuff, and they played the Pittsburgh Steelers because there was this big joke about the Steelers asking the Cowboys, what's it feel like to lose the Super Bowl? We've never done that. And then the Steelers lost to the Cowboys. But I decorated one side with Cowboy stuff and one side with uh, Steelers stuff, and I was so mad about the, the NFC game because I felt like we got jipped. Over the screen, I put Packers stuff up there just because I was convinced they should have been there. I, I love the Packers, but let's face it. For some people, it really is a worship experience. This was my first chance to go there. But you know it's a worship experience by the way they change things. Next slide, please. For, for some people, they put great effort into preparing for the game. Some people just go there and they enjoy the experience. Other people plan their entire lives around going to this game. Down south, where college football is king, uh, you would never have a wedding that would take place on a Saturday afternoon during football season. Why? This is when the games are. I have seen people get mad because somebody decided to do some event and didn't think ahead uh, because there was a, a local football game on. Because what was most important is that football game. If, if somebody tried to do a wedding, 
on Sunday. Think of how people would respond if that took place during football season. They'd call them idiots. You know, what do you think you're doing? And we say, you know, love's the most important thing, but it's not during football season. We, we spend time prepping the area. But next slide, please, buddy. Some people shape their very lives based on it. I love this. They make their choices based on this. Her sign says, uh, my cheating ex-boyfriend is watching from the couch instead. Because you make your priorities or you punish people by this. Next slide. You, you may actually decorate yourself based on this. And scripture says to train up a child in the way in which they shall go and they shall not depart from it. Next slide, please. Okay. We shape our lives based on what's important to us and you know people (laughs) i'm sorry jan (laughs) you know people who shape their lives based on the packers we become like that which we worship next slide please isaiah 6 is my favorite passage of scripture in the old testament love it absolutely love it because isaiah has a vision of meeting God. Literally says that in the, in the year that King Uzziah died. He saw the Lord high and exalted. And the full uh, train of his robe filled the temple. And then. Excuse me. Seraphim. Which are a type of heavenly creature. Possibly angels. Possibly holy animals. We honestly don't know. But they have six wings. And it is described. That they, they take two of those wings. And they cover their face. And they take two of those wings. And they cover their feet. And with the remaining two wings. They fly. And they fly. Shouting out to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the fascinating thing to me is. Is that as. Isaiah begins to describe these angels. After he, he describes what they're saying, it says that the whole temple fills with smoke. He sees God briefly, and then God is mysterious again. But the thing that is most fascinating to me is at the end, that when Isaiah sees God for who he is, Isaiah's response is, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. See, Isaiah sees God for who he is, and it suddenly makes him realize who he is. The New Testament equivalent to this is that, uh, that Peter realizes Jesus is the Messiah, and the words out of his mouth are, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a wicked man. See, that which we worship should change us. That which we worship should shape us. And far too often, we treat Jesus like he's this nice little manageable thing that we can put over here in this corner and we can pull him out on Sunday and hope for a wonderful experience of singing songs to him and then put him back in this corner for the rest of the week. That it won't change us and it won't shape us at all. My suggestion is, if that's true in your life, if that's true in my life, then we don't really worship him. Something else is that which is most important to us. Uh, The word worship is actually an old English word. Most of our church words uh, come from either Hebrew or from Greek, and some of them come from Latin. But worship is an old English word. Does anybody know what it means? You may have heard it before, actually. Yeah. The most literal translation would be worth-ship. It is literally just a declaration of you are worthy. 
it's always kind of weird to me. Sometimes in, in, in Christian churches now, they refer to the music as worship. If you, if you look on our, our, our slideshow over there, it'll be like first singing and second singing because our singing is worship, but worship is not singing. Worship so much more. We declare his worth by the fact that we sing. We declare his worth, though, also by the way we treat each other. We declare his worth by the way we live our lives. If all we do is sing, that's just singing. (laughs) If we live our lives throughout the week in such a way that we declare he is worthy of being followed, then when we sing, that is truly worship. Here's the thing I find fascinating. Um... It says that Moses and Elijah and Jesus were talking. What do you think they were talking about? (laughs) Uh, No, Jacob, I I don't think they were talking about the Green Bay Packers, um, though if they had existed, possibly. We know. Now, in the New Testament, there are four Gospels. Three of those are referred to as the synoptic gospels. The reason they're referred to as the synoptic gospels is because we know that Mark was first. That's if you're wondering why we're going through the gospel of Mark rather than the gospel of Matthew or Luke. It's not because Matthew and Luke are bad. It's because Mark was first. It was the very first gospel. And Matthew and Luke used Mark as a source. So what this means is for these three and John was was not it did not use any of them as a source at all. It's another source. But these three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, sometimes the story happens in all three. Sometimes the story will happen in Matthew or, and Mark together. Sometimes it will be Mark and Luke together. And sometimes it's just in Matthew or Luke or Mark. But most of the stories of Mark are in the other two. This story is in all three. And in Luke, it tells us what they were talking about. And I think it's all the more important because of what the Father says we are to do with Jesus. Listen to him. And what we know that that Elijah and Moses were talking to Jesus about was the fact that he was about to go to Jerusalem and he was about to sacrifice himself. That he was about to give his life. That he was about to, as the one who was Full of glory, the one who, when he reveals just a little bit of what he has hidden, blinds people. (laughs) I love the fact that it says, and by the way, his clothes were so white that nobody could bleach them that white. That's just kind of fun to me. But the one who's like that, they were talking about the fact that he was about to sacrifice himself for us. And the father says... After this conversation is done, this is my son who I love. Listen to him. Now, if we're going to listen to him, it's very important that we know what to listen to. If you look at the passage of Scripture before this, Jesus talks about sacrifice. Even more easy than that, if you look at what the disciples and Jesus were talking about as they walked down the hill, that should be a pretty good hint of what we really need to hear here. And he talks about sacrifice. Even to the point that they don't understand it. 
What does it mean to rise from the dead? I think I have a good idea of what it means to rise from the dead. But that was so far out of their spectrum of knowledge that they, when he said words like rise from the dead, they were assuming he meant something entirely different. Because their image of the Messiah was as one who was going to come and in military victory kick the Romans out. But the real Messiah was going to sacrifice. We become like what we worship. So before I end, does anybody have anything that needs to be added? Any, any questions, any statement that I didn't make that you feel like needs to be made? And then I'll end us. Okay, then I'm just going to end with one little question. What do you worship? What do you declare with your life? What do you declare with your words? What do you declare with your actions is worthy? Do you declare with the way you treat those around you that Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb, is worthy? Do you declare with the way you treat your neighbors that the one who gave it all for you is worthy? Do you declare with the way you treat your family members, with the way you treat your enemies, with the way you treat the person who cuts you off when you have the right of way, that you serve the suffering servant? Because we become like that which we worship. Far too many people have the wrong things that they worship. And that's not a small thing. Tozer said that what comes to mind when you think of God is the most important thing. I think he's right. I hope this week what comes to mind for you and for me is the one who gives it all for us. And therefore we are driven to give it all because of him. The one who, who humbled himself, as the second chapter of Philippians describes, who, who gave up his very nature of, of being in glory. He gave up his right to have all power. And instead, he took upon himself the form of a servant and died even the death of a cross. I hope that we proclaim in our lives that we worship him Instead of trying to change him into our image, we allow him to change us into his image. I am not going to tell you that that's always easy. <laughs> I am going to tell you that it's always worth it. It will affect where you go to college. It will affect who you marry. It will affect how you treat those around you. It will affect where you go to church. Because we become like the one that we worship. I hope this week, all of us here, all of us in this room that proclaim that we follow him, live in such a way that we become a little bit more like him and live in such a way that other people see his glory. To use the word here that Jesus went through, that they see transfiguration. Because they see God's glory 
living out in our lives. And that glory involves sacrifice. (laughs) So will you join me in prayer? And then let's sing to the one who is worthy. Father, help us to truly worship you. Because when we declare that you are worthy, hopefully we will live lives that show that. And we will become a little bit more like you. I pray this in your son's name because he is the suffering servant. I pray this in your son's name because he is the one who died uh, for us and for the whole world. I pray this in your son's name because he is the one who called us to follow him. Help us to have the courage to do that. Amen. Let's please sing together.